join together in prayer. Heavenly Father, your word tells us, open the eyes of our heart. Sometimes for our hearts to be open, we've got to, we've got to give you our hearts, as we just sang about. And our hearts can be conflicted. We can, we can love so much in this world. So many good things, but we can easily put them above you. And however challenging it may be, I pray that we would know, that we would really know that not only do you have our, our best interests in life in mind, you have our lives in mind, our eternal lives. And in you, Jesus, there is life. So I pray we would fully give our hearts to you, and then you would open them up, that we could see things that perhaps before we didn't see, uh, needs in people's lives, maybe our families, opportunities to study or grow or serve, whether it's in our offices, in our homes, or around the world. But it begins by, by us giving you our heart. So I pray that if people haven't done that, at least today they take a step and move towards that. Thank you for this church. Thank you for your church. And I pray over us as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for being here. You can have a seat. And uh, go ahead and take your Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, there's one up there. We'll give it to you. To Acts 19. We're going to be doing a couple passages of Scripture today. And if, you are, if you're new here, if this is your first time, first off, again, we're glad you're here. But we are going through a series uh, this summer called... Uh, red letter days, and we're taking any and all questions. Uh, you should see a red box out in the foyer that uh, you can put a card anonymously. Anything you're curious about, anything you want to know uh, in the Bible, in your life, uh, practically. But we're taking these questions, and each and every Sunday we're addressing these questions, uh, hopefully, honestly, and authentically. So we've dealt with some questions, and today uh, we had a great question in it is what is an idol? And how do I know if I have an idol? So I say it's a great question because it's easy to think about an idol as, you know, Old Testament stuff, uh, golden calf coming down from Mount Sinai and everybody worshiping this, this golden statue or, you know, something called Baal or, you know, Greek gods of statues or statues in Rome. That, that's, I mean, that's what comes to my mind when I say the word idol, when I think about the word idol. And... It's easy for us to say, you know, hey, we're past that. I mean, we're much more civilized. You know, we, we don't have idols that we bow down to and worship, right? Well, I think we do. I think all of us do. Let me take this past week just in my own life, so not pointing anybody else out, but looking at my life and some things that we did that could easily be idols and have been idols and that I could battle against as an idol, even right now. First off, 4th of July. I mean, we celebrate our country's independence, uh, live in a great country. Uh, I think a lot of us are patriots, and we love our country, and we love living here, and, you know, we revere our country. And a nation, I mean, grand old USA, love it, can be an idol for us, for me. Another one is family. I don't know about y'all, but 
I got together with family, you know, some of them I love, some of them it's like, you know, thankfully just see you on holidays and, and hopefully, you know, maybe every other year, but, you know, if we got we to gotta do what we got to do. But love my family, um, and family can be a big idol. Place can be an idol. Not just country or not just a state, Mississippi, but we have a family, Lake House, uh, up in North Mississippi, up between New Albany and Oxford, and been there, been spending summers there since I was 10 and just, you know, fishing and swimming and skiing and, and love it. It's called Darden, Darden Lake. Some of you may have been there. But that actual place, like that lake, that cabin can be, and I, we love that, have great memories and, oh, la-di-da, you know, just lift it up and worship it almost. Memories with family there, you know. Dad and I sitting down on the pier like 8.30. I love these long days on, uh, I guess it was Wednesday night. Had the radio on, had a Yankees game on, MLB app, can listen to all the baseball games. Sports can be an idol. My wife and I went to Oxford, had dinner on the square. I don't need to say anything more about idolatry there. Square's a great place. I let you know I battle that. Many of you do the same. And, you know, gave State a plug last week. So you State fans are actually pretty happy. I mean, Ole Miss is an idol, not even mentioning State there, but it can be. Today, I was watching the Wimbledon final. I mean, I needed to prepare for the sermon, but man, I love, I love Wimbledon. Sports can be an idol. It's just my life. I'm sure y'all don't have any of these problems or issues. Look, we all do. The truth is, all of us, all of us, are by nature, are inherently idolaters. We're all worshipers. It just depends on what we worship. We all worship something. So to answer this question, the short version, you know, what is an idol? What is an idol? An idol, is it a good thing? All those things that I mentioned in my life are good. They're good things. That becomes an ultimate thing. An ultimate thing in our life that we put above God. What is an idol? An idol is something that if it was gone from your life, if it was taken out of your life, you'd be destroyed. You might want to take your own life. Like, I'd, I'd never want to take my own life. Well, if your career, which some of us may uphold so dearly, was just gone, over. And I've seen that. Men and women, lost jobs, done something. Family, love our families. If it was taken out of our life, be destroyed. How do we know if we have an idol? If that thing, if that, you know, whatever it is, blankety-blank in our lives was taken out, could we, could we live with ourselves? And whatever it is. So all of us have idols. And, you know, especially in the church, I see this over and over again. And listen, I, I battle against it. You know, ministry. Ministry success. But some of us say, hey, I love God. Hey, I come to church regularly. Hey, I'm in a Bible study. Hey, I'm going to Honduras. Hey, I'm doing the mission thing. Hey, I'm active. I mean, I'm learning. I'm growing. But we can be so consumed with our careers, with the relationship, maybe married, maybe, maybe single, with a person. Be so consumed that, I mean, we're, we're idolaters and we're putting those things above God. So I want us to talk about that, this and see it in Scripture. So if you're at Acts 19... We're going to look at three broad 
forms of idols. And I'll just, you know, make it easy talking about the three C's. So three C's, career, culture, and church. We're going to hit on all those different passages, but the first is in Acts 19. And I'm going to start in verse 23. And this is Paul in Ephesus, which he started a church, a great church that became actually a a really bad church, if you read Revelation. A lot of, a lot of messed up stuff went on. But started and, and was going well. And a lot of idols in Ephesus. So we're going to see one here. Acts 19, starting with verse 23. About that time, no little disturbance broke out concerning the way. The way is Christianity. A man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the artisans. These he gathered together with the workers of the same trade and said, Men, you know that we get our wealth from this business. You also see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost the whole of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and drawn away a considerable number of people by saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be scorned and she will be deprived of her majesty that brought all Asia and the world to worship her. When they heard this, they were enraged and shouted, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! The city was filled with confusion, and people rushed together to the theater, dragging with them Gaius, Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's travel companions. Paul wished to go into the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some officials of the province of Asia, who were friendly to him, sent him a message urging him not to venture into the theater. Let's stop right there. This is a, uh, it's a narrative, it's not a, not a sermon Paul gave, but what's going down in Ephesus. And Paul was very successful in his ministry, and one of the reasons was he always confronted the idols of each place that he went to. We're going to see this a bit later in Athens. But first here in Ephesus, Ephesus was uh, probably the most successful commercial center in the Mediterranean world outside of Rome, Okay. And one of the reasons this was, was that a meteor struck very close to Ephesus. Actually, it talks about this later in Acts 19. A meteor struck, and all of a sudden these people thought that this was a, a god who had sent down you know, this, this important rock or statue. And they broke the rock, and they started carving temples, and they created this temple for Artemis. And she became essentially a goddess of livelihood, commerce, business, but that actually went into even prostitution and sexuality so that a prostitution ring would hang out at this temple of Artemis. People would come and sacrifice even their children to this goddess of Artemis to make money or to do well in business. And, you know, I say that because, you know, we think, man, they are nuts. They're crazy. Sacrifice their children for, for money or for career or for commerce. We would never do that. Okay? So, we say we wouldn't, but I know many people who sacrifice their family. Maybe not in that way, but sacrifice their family for their job, for their career, to make money. I, I know many dads, and listen, men, y'all, some of y'all have heard me say this. I mean, I battle against it. Time away from home, time away from the kids, being the dad, being the father. And, you know, a lot of us, as men, 
you know, we have this, this urge to, hey, do well and to be successful and make money and all that's good stuff. We need, we need good, sound Christian believers in finance and commerce and entrepreneurs and business and lawyers and, and in that world. But it is, it is a struggle and a balance. And I'm not saying we haven't, you know, we got it figured out to, you know, not sacrifice our families and our, our children for that idol of success or, or money or, or whatever it is, or titles or positions or, you know, pick your poison, name it, you know. And, hey, it's good stuff. And, again, we need Christians. But we can easily sacrifice our families. And we can easily make the money, the success, the career an idol. Again, a good thing. I'm not saying it's bad. It's a good thing that becomes an ultimate thing. So Paul confronted this head on because they were making money off this goddess Artemis. They were crafting little statues and he confronted it. And so they attacked Paul. And you know, whenever you confront idols, there, there's always conflict in, in some shape, form, or fashion. I mean, I may be preaching this today and there'd be, be conflict in your in your mind, there may be conflict against me. I, I don't know. But whenever you confront an idol in your life, maybe with your boss or whatever, there's, there's some form of conflict. But Paul does that. Paul's unapologetic. Paul is bold. And, you know, he's saying these are idols. This is not God. There's only one true God. And the town of Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, went into an uproar. So I just want to ask you, I mean, with business... You know, that career, it's, it's all about making money. Hey, other careers are different. You know, the arts, it's all about, you know, self-expression. You know, being authentic. Are you authentic in, your, in the way you act or in your theater or in your music or in your writing? I mean, some of y'all are artists. You know what I'm saying. It's, it's, and actually, that, it'd be like, well, if you make money, you've sold out, you know, with some artists. It just depends on what the idol is in your career. And again, it can be a good thing, but we don't want to make good things ultimate things. And our human nature leans towards that. So we have to confront our idols, and then we'll have conflict internally. Career is one idol that we can have. Another one would just be things in culture. I want you to look at this. Flip over to Acts 17. Although this scripture is going to be on screen. It's just a couple verses. Acts 17, and this is in Athens. Paul's in Athens. Acts 17. I'm going to read just two verses, 16 and 17. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see the city was full of idols. So he argued in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout people and also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Stop right there. He's in Athens. He says, full of idols. And he goes to the marketplace. Some translations actually call this the agora. And the marketplace in Athens, I mean, it was literally, it wasn't just like... Uh, you know, a marketplace that you might imagine going to today. It was the center of all culture, literally, in the Mediterranean world. was going on at this marketplace, at this agora. So Rome, political and military power, but Athens was the seat of culture. So it'd literally be like us going to a place that combined Hollywood and, like, Harvard academic centers and the editorial boards of the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times together, all there and going there and talking to them about Jesus that's, that's what Paul was doing here at the marketplace in Athens. Because this marketplace, this agora, all the culture of the Mediterranean world literally flowed out of there. And Paul says, you're full of idols. You know, you're worshiping the wrong gods. And he was confronting these idols. So, you know, for us, 
culturally, you know, what are some of the idols that we worship? What are some of the idols that can um, that we can make ultimate things? The first, I just I'm just thought a few. I probably don't want to get all of them, but the first would be sexuality and beauty. I mean, just look. I, I love going to Barnes and Nobles all the time. Look at the magazine racks. I mean, look at all the magazines. Look at the photos. Not just women, men too. I mean, you know, promoting sex and hey, look how to have sex and how you know. I mean, all this it is there. And then we have to say TV shows. I mean, TV. I mean, I was. I I, I rarely watch like you know sitcom shows. And some of you can be like, well, that's to your detriment. But but anyway, I mean, back when I used to growing up, compared to shows now, I mean, what they what they show on TV, and then I mean YouTube, and, and it's all there. But yet, for us, I mean, we revere beauty, and we make beauty and sexuality. Uh, these grand idols of culture. Uh, we do. Y'all know. I mean, we have 50-year-olds wanting to look like 20-year-olds. We, I mean, and not, not just like New York, L.A., here. You know what I'm saying? We have single men and women who know, you know, premarital sex is wrong. You know, don't need to go there. Taught that. Parents, church. And sometimes they can be, honestly, I mean, humbly, gracefully, like so insecure and so seeking and needing of, of approval, they'll go there and, and they'll do that and they'll engage in that. And, and sometimes the significant other, the boyfriend or the girlfriend, I mean, becomes the idol. Actually, it's not even like an idol. It's almost, it almost can be like a slave master. And they put so much you know, effort and adoration into him or her that it, it, is, it is a legit idol in their lives. And again, relationships can be a good thing. Sexuality is a good thing. Created by God, has its boundaries. They're very clear in Scripture. We make it an ultimate thing. I mean, we do make it an ultimate thing. Another idol that it's very easy for um, for us to make an ultimate thing is our families. I mentioned this earlier. You know, in New York City, it's all about how much you make. That's the question you're asked. In Boston, it's what do you know? Academic center. In D.C., it's who do you work for? I mean, who are you close to? Who are you close to in power? In Mississippi, who are your people? You know what I'm saying? Who's your people? That's the question. And you can trace it back generations, and you're judged by parents, you're judged by your family, you're judged by your name. I'm just saying it. And I'm sure, that, hey, listen, like I said, when you confront idols, it brings conflict. And I got folks in my family that would revere our family and do make it an ultimate thing. They may not realize that, but they do. And family is this, this big idol. I don't know if y'all ever heard it says, like, you know, we ain't going to hurt the family, you know. And, hey, protect the family. And, hey, family pride... And it stays in the family. Maybe sin, but we're going to keep it in the family. Ever happen to y'all? And family can be, uh, just, it's just a, a massive idol. Good thing. Again, I want to keep coming back. Good things that become ultimate things. Love my family. Love my parents. Love my wife. My kids. Some family don't love, love them because you know, I have to. But you know what I'm saying? 
but when they become ultimate things and they're over God. I, look, I, I know families who are like, they say, oh, it'd never be an ultimate thing, but they'll keep things hidden that, you know, should be confronted. That's, that's sin. Should be talked through gracefully. So, again, I'm just kind of laying some idols out. Family and connected to family, and this was a big one here, huge one here. I fight against this here, okay? Our kids, our children. Love my boys. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying don't love your kids. What I'm saying is it starts early, the whole family deal. It starts so early. I was talking to a family last week, and it's like you would be, shocked and amazed at what parents do to make sure their kids go to the right parties, have the right friends, you know, are in the right class, uh, at the right school, you know, all of this, because it starts early, the family and the relationships and judge by your name and judge by your peers and all that. I was like, well, how early? Like four? And my wife's like, yep, it starts at four. She's more involved and she, and the parents, we do this and we revere our kids and want to make sure they have the right connections and the right opportunities and honestly what it is is we put ourselves before God we don't trust that God will provide that God will open doors that God will protect and let's honor and obey him and raise them up we say no we're a little bit better than God and we really know better for our kids than God so we're going to kind of be in control and shape their lives and make sure they get the opportunities and the doors open and things happen I mean, if y'all disagree, just tell me after church or anything, but it happens. It goes down. And kids are this, our kids, we love them. Again, good thing becomes ultimate thing. Becomes idols in our life. So in our culture, both, you know, big culture and this culture that we live in, in Jackson, um, these things can be idols that, that conflict us and take us away from God, and that we, we worship, and we're idolaters. So there's career, there's culture, and one of the C, and man, this is, a, this is a big one I just had to hit on, church, church. Turn to, it'll be up on screen, but turn to Ezekiel, so don't hit Ezekiel very much at Bellwether, probably should, but you know, Ezekiel 14, verse 1 through 6. It says, certain elders of Israel came to me and sat down before me, and the word of the Lord came to me. Mortal, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and placed their iniquity as a stumbling block before them. Shall I let myself be consulted by them? Therefore speak to them and say to them, thus says the Lord God, any of those of the house of Israel who take their idols into their hearts and place their iniquity as a stumbling block before them, and yet come to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer those who come with a multitude of their idols, in order that I may take hold of their hearts, of the house of Israel, all of whom are estranged from me through their idols. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Repent and turn away from your idols, and turn away your faces from all abominations. I highlight this passage because these aren't like pagans in Acts, Ephesus, or Athens. These aren't like, you know, atheist, agnostic folks who, you know, would build a statue or something golden and, and kneel and worship. These are the religious folks. And these aren't only just the religious folks. These are the elders. These are like the leaders 
of the, of the church at that time, even though it was Old Testament. These are the leaders. These are the, the godly men. These are the people who, you know, have been chosen, selected to lead God's people. And they have idols. And Scripture is very clear. It says it holds them back. It is a stumbling block in, in the life of God's people, in, in the life of what God wants to do. And I say this, and I use this, because one of the big, biggest idols for us, hey, for me, can be our church. Now, it can be like big capital C church, but it can be like our church. It can be Bellwether. Like, you know, we want to promote Bellwether. We want to grow Bellwether more so than the kingdom of God and, and other churches and the other denominations. And we forget that it's one big C church. And we forget that, you know, what's good for the kingdom would be good for our local church. We're like, hey, what's good for Bellwether is, you know, obviously it's going to be what's best. And I say this, too, because of the build and the building that we got. And this, this hasn't happened, but I've seen, like, you know, seen, seen tidbits, inklings of it. But there's, there's a big risk that it can, that it becomes all about the building. All about the build-out. All about pews versus chairs. All about what we're going to do. All about the stained glass windows. All about when's the next building going to happen? When's the expansion going to happen? And then become all about this idol. This man-made, man-built idol. I say this too because, you know, man, this is, this is a wonderful time in the life of our church. And Many of y'all have heard me say this, and I'll probably sound like a broken record, but I need to say it over and over again. I mean, God literally gave us that building. God, God literally gave us that property. It wasn't like wheeling and dealing from some, you know, real estate guru or a banker or, you know, financial. You know, it wasn't any of that. It wasn't. It was like, you know, God chose. I really believe God chose to, to give this property to us, you know, in a way that was good and you know, no backroom deals or, no, you know, none of, none of that. And what can happen is instead of like, honestly, like enjoying the ride and being thankful and knowing. I mean, you can't deny that God provided. Knowing, hey, God's going to provide. Instead of, you know, be all, you know, be all stressed and be like, well, is it, you know, what, how's the build out going to be? And, you know, we, we got to reach people and make sure people come and, you know, all this. Yes, we'll do those things. But you can be so stressed about buildings and about growing our little kingdom. That, that we forget, I mean, God's in charge, God's in control, and God provided. And honestly, I mean, I, listen, I'm preaching myself too. I really want us to enjoy the ride here. I mean, this move going into it and first year at that new property and enjoy it and see how God will bless us. He's already blessed us with families and leaders and opportunities and now a place. We stay true to him, make him our ultimate thing. He's going to continue to bless us. So idols can be the church. Also, idols can be like ministries and missions in the church. We're going to Honduras this week. However, like that ministry, that trip, those weeks that we go to once or twice a year can like be our babies or can be your babies or can be like, you know, I'm not really down with Bellwether, but I like the Honduras mission, so I'm going to give money to it. And, you know, babies are easy to birth but hard to kill. I mean, it's, you know, and you just, that's your life and that's your deal. I really want to, I want to give credit to actually the Moody's. I don't know where they are. I saw them here yesterday. Bill and Lori Moody. Oh, yeah, I knew you'd give a shout out, Bill. Anyway, Bill and Lori, they came. They, they don't go 
on the salt and light trip. They go to another mission and ministry in Honduras. And missions is their passion. And like if anyone could make missions their baby, it would be them. I mean, I've talked to them about this. But they, they love the church. They love the Capital C Church. They love Bellwether. They keep going and going. But it, it's never been about their baby. It's never been about their deal. And even when they're not going, again, with salt and light, I just think they, they give a great testimony and great witness to all of us. But not just Honduras. We're going to India in November. And I've talked to folks who go on that trip. Many can easily become, hey, this is my baby. This is my deal at church. And we want everybody to have their deal where God is leading them. But it can become your idol. Not just that. Other things, ministries, worship. We prayed in there as we do every Sunday. We talked about, hey, you know, worship can be our idol. As in, I really want this style of worship. I really think we should play these songs. I really think we should do this, lights or video or whatever it is. And, you know, it can be that way for y'all. Set up. Something like set up would never be my idol. But honest to goodness, like some, for some folks, we, look, we set up and take down. Those of y'all who are here and we've only got a couple more months of it. And we think more people should be involved in it. It's a great way to serve. But for some folks, set up is, can be their, their baby. Look, everybody can have their deal, their, their babies in church. Good things become ultimate things. And really, you know, the last idol church-wise is us individually. I mean, honestly, I mean, I hope y'all think about this. It, I mean, it can really, we can be our own idols. And what I mean by that is like, we'll come to church, maybe Bellwether or another church, we'll be active, and we'll say, you know, I'm such a good person. I got my Bible studies going down. I've got my missions going down. I'm doing so good that my works and my efforts really are what saves me instead of what Jesus has done. And, you know, we'll, we'll lead our lives and we'll be like, you know, I'm, I'm really going to be living for Jesus and I'm kind of going to be a missionary here and, and maybe like, you know, you, you know, you choose to send your kids to public school to be a missionary, or maybe you say, no, I'm going to send kids to private school, or I'm going to homeschool because I don't want any of that. I'm going to be a missionary and live for Christ. What you do saves you. Or culture, like, hey, I'm going to avoid these TV shows. I'm not going to go to R-rated movies. I'm going to avoid sex. I'm going to, you know, just countercultural. And what you do saves you more than what Jesus does. And you know where a lot of this starts, honestly? That mentality can start in a Bible study or a small group. And it's when somebody says, or when we say, what does this verse mean to you? What does this verse mean to you? And I'll be honest with you all, like cults start because of that. Heretics are born because of that. We look at Scripture and say, well, what does it mean to me? What does it mean to you? And we rely more on our, our reason... Or more on our emotions rather than revelation of the Holy Spirit. And just looking at this, what does it mean? What does God's word mean? So often our, our idols are just us. It's, I can be my own idol. We all can be our own idols. So, hey, I've traced that out. What is an idol? What can some of our idols be? So what's the solution? What's the remedy? What do we... What do we do? And I want to go back to one verse in Acts 17. It's going to be up on Scripture. Actually, two verses. Paul's in Athens. We covered that initially. And then he ends this sermon. Acts 17, 30 and 31. 
answers the question, what do we do about our idols? It says, while God, Paul is saying, while God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and on this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Two things I want to highlight that I believe is our remedy. I believe is a solution of this, this conflict all of us have. Me too. Listen, I'm not trying to put this on y'all. Of the idols of our heart. Repent, first off. I've said this a lot. You know, our lives should be lives of repentance. That's why we have the altars. That's why we do communion to come up and just say, God, forgive me. I mean, I'm going to do that today. I'm going to do that right now as we take communion. Forgive me. The idols of my heart. The things that I make ultimate things above you. Please, it is our nature. It is our, it's our DNA. And we have to constantly grow and grow in repentance. That would be number one. The second thing, we have got to, we got to intentionally discipline ourselves to continually gaze at the gospel. Paul says, repent here at the end. He says, raising him from the dead. The gospel that Jesus was raised from the dead, that Jesus came and did what we couldn't do, died for us, gave his life for us. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. Whosoever believes in him will have eternal life. We've got to gaze that over and over again. You're like, what do you mean gaze that? I mean, we've got to intentionally, honestly, like come to church, first off. And that's not like a deal to like get you in church. It's a deal of, hey, we, we take this very seriously to teach and to worship and try to connect y'all to the gospel, to life, to put down our idols or tear down our idols. You've got to do that intentionally in a, in a Bible study, in some and ask what does scripture mean and not what does it mean to you and in your own life in prayer time in quiet time in time reading God's word I mean honestly that that's the only thing that will do it at the church corporate worship individual relationships personal time with God where he will convict you of your idols of our idols and will fully worship him last thing I'll say is you know a big idol for me, and hopefully for a lot of y'all married folks, um, is, my, is my wife, my spouse. And, and again, hopefully in a good marriage, you know, it's, that's as close as you get to an idol, is your husband or wife. And love her, and, but I know, and she knows, that one day, one of us will look at the other one in a coffin. And, and the same will happen to all you married folks. And here's the deal. If our idols or our functional saviors can be in a coffin and die, how will they save us when our world's falling apart? There's one who did not die. Well, he died, but he's not dead. And he was raised again, the scripture says. Jesus. Make him your ultimate thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, convict us of the idols of our heart. There are so many in culture. There are so many in our, our careers. There can be many in our church. I pray your Holy Spirit would convict us. I pray that we'd realize that those things cannot save us. And ultimately those things will all die. But there is one who will never die and can save us when our world is tearing down, breaking apart. And I pray he'd be the ultimate thing in our lives for, for me, for my family, for these people, for our church family. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thank you.